Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Warhammer Listen to Lore, the only 40k podcast where you get to write the scripts. It's me, Rayway, leading this episode with my co-host, Gerald. Hello again. Hello, welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while. All of five minutes since our last recording. Oh, man. Meanwhile, everyone listening is going to be like, what? It's been three weeks? All around me are familiar faces. <laughs> all right okay we got another little fun one for you gentle listeners tonight it's a space marine chapter called the abyssal krakens badass name already i agree i agree this one's gonna be a a very good one holy shit look at those document outlines those document outlines, the punctuation, the organization, the 16 pages of lore. Stop, I can only get so hard. <laughs> I can only get so erect. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, you want to start or me? Uh, let me get back up to the top here. Okay, I can start. Uh, do we just want to do like... Uh... Every few, couple few groupings or whatnot. Every three or four, maybe. Sure. All right. <clears throat> My Space Marine Chapter Homebrew. Oh, and this was written by... Let me pull this guy's name up. Sam. So, thank you, Sam. We are going to try our best to get this, give this justice. Indeed. All right. Name the Abyssal Krakens. Why founded? Originally, the chapter was designated to be deployed as a floating force within the Ultramar system to be used as a detached void warfare force. Going on long range scouting for extended durations, separated from support, to locate and destroy forces that stand against Macrog. But this was only the intention if the company champion could show success in leadership. Founded. The chapter began as members of the 5th Company. However, the official founding was M38 upon rediscovering um, upon rediscovery on Mollusca. Progenoid, derived from the Ultramarines. The chapter gene seed being derived from the Ultramarines was intended to be top quality with no expected flaws. However, after the expedition was lost, it began to mutate and develop. Upon rediscovery, the flaws became evident, and it was reclassified as a flawed-slash-altered gene seed. The gene seed itself was created from the company champion and the remaining eight of the expedition. Totally. 
So eight, eight. So am I understanding that eight, eight were left out of uh, one hundred? That's what it seems like. Well, it's nine. It would be nine because the company champion. Well, nine, yeah, nine plus company. Still, like uh, basically, like ninety percent of your company's gone. Yeah, Oof. off to a rough start there. <laughs> Rip. All right, this is mine now. Uh, yeah. All right, chapter demeanor, pre-loss. As most as most ultramarines, they are stoic, determined, and practical. Using standard codex tactics for avoid warfare, boarding actions, and long-range scouting and reconnaissance, or hit-and-run tactics. The expedition members are often used as the spiritive force to allow larger assault occupation forces of both the studies and Imperial Guard to move into theaters of conflict. Post-loss. The chapter maintains its stoic characteristics, where it specializes in void warfare and light infantry tactics to hunt the enemy, often alone, and beyond the reach of aid of, or assistance. The chapter persecutes a war against, enemy, against the enemy without support of the Adeptus Astartes or Imperial Guard forces. However, over the last 3,000 years of fighting, the Krakens are now often par for tandem. Are often, are now, wow. <clears throat> the Krakens now often pair for tandem operations with other Imperial forces. The Krakens usually deploy them to the flanks or impassable landscapes to provide outer support or flanking maneuverings. Gene Seed Mutation. Being 5th Company Ultramarines, it was not until the discovery of few of the expedition were tested that their Gene Seed was mutated unknowingly and used due to proximity to the Sirens, to the sirens Gale. The Gene Flaw first appeared in the form of the Boucher's Gland, a standard organ for Lostardes, once a Marine of the chapter had become fully fledged. The Boucher's Gland would become overactive. Unlike other chapters like the Iron Snakes, where the Bletcher's Gland would create you unusually more potent acid in, in this case, it would create hyperactive acid as well as become uncontrollable for the Marine, resulting in cases of gland rupturing, expanding its hyperacid into the Marine. Holy fuck. <laughs> On occasion, becoming the Marine's healing and melting it away from the inside. The acid that is produced that is that of thick black mixture similar to ink. In other cases, the gland will become overactive, forcing the marine to seep acid from the mouth uncontrollably, where not for the, if where if the helmet could not be removed would fuse, and the marine would often choke or drown in the thick black ink acid. Jesus, due to the unbecoming <laughs> due to the unbecoming nature of this gene flaw. Most supplicants who show signs of the flaw were immediately removed or killed to not pass on the gene seed to the next applicant, hoping for better results. Marines that are not killed by the flaw or who develop the mutation later on are forced to adapt to the symptoms that it brings. Eyes, known as the hepleid, often the hep... I can't pronounce that fucking word. Hold on, cephalid after the cephalopod eye. Okay. Ah. ah. Marines who developed this flaw were gifted with rare with rare sight, um, even in comparison to fellow space marines. Those with the cephalid development developed extremely keen eyesight, allowing for even greater marksmanship. Often marines gifted with the cephalid often inducted into the elite sniper group's eliminators. Okay, explains that. Kraken's Hold, a very rare power known to the Kraken, known as the Kraken's Hold, was developed 
and mastered. Uh, members of the librarians have many gifts, but the hold is the most unique and rare of the chapter. A librarian with the hold allows power over what happens to the gravity itself. Librarians with the hold can create and form black holes. Shit. The most powerful with the hold create them the size of an atom, intentionally inside a target, warping gravity to pull and contract the entire of the target, squeezing, compacting, crushing them into the smallest possible space. Once satisfied, the gravity is released, exploding the target and closing the black hole. Holy shit. Damn, that's OP right there. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And insomnus. The Calypsian node mutation triggers destructive insomnia, not allowing the marine to rest, continuing until suffering psychological breakdowns. Sufferers will be subject to taking unnecessary risks, personality changes, hallucinations, memory loss, even complete psychological breakdown. Jesus Christ. Good grief. These are some these are some flaws there. I yes. can take over from here. Figure sure. of legend. The company champion who led the expedition of multiple marine squads, an Imperial Guard regiment, and a strike fleet. The champion died to save the remnants of his force. The surviving eight upon discovery carried on the champion's legacy, building the new chapter with their gene seed used to build used to build the new chapter. Founding. Prior to M39, the chapter was merely a portion of the fifth company used for its expertise in void warfare and practical usage. After serving without failure for years, the fifth company champion was assigned a great task. The champion, along with the content, a contingent of Fifth Company that was extremely close to the champion, were sent to explore and destroy a Xenos incursion. The reward was that the champion may be given command of his own force, possibly even his own chapter. The expedition force was to utilize its void specialty to destroy the Xeno fleet and destroy remnants on any worlds. In its duties, it was taken far from Macrog and Ultramar into the far depths of the eastern fringe. But the Xenos force that the expedition faced was far larger than expected and far more cunning. Outnumbered by the Xenos, the expedition was slowly picked away. As the conflict continued, supplies were flexed too, f- were flexed too far, its resources too few. The tides finally turned and the expedition was uh, sent word to Macrog for immediate aid. However, aid never came, sowing the seeds of rage and revenge. With aid never arriving, the expedition suffered greatly, forcing them to withdraw to a lone planet. Once there, <clears throat> once there due to the losses suffered, and the ex- the expedition was made to restructure and adapt the circumstances it was placed. McCrog never received any call for aid, and in 996 N38, a rogue trader found an amazing discovery. A lone world ruled by gods. These gods were ultramarines, the last remnant of the Fifth Company expedition. Long lost to the annals of history, as did the last eight remained. Due to an expanding warp storm classified as the Siren's Gale, nearly cutting off the planet entirely for the, from the rest of the Imperium, along with the distance from Macrog, and the density and violence of the warp storm, the si- Siren's Gale was the reason no transmission got through, leaving them to be abandoned for so many years and only be discovered by chance by this rogue trader. Looking wild. Holy shit. Yeah. Mm. Rip. <laughs> Rippity rip. All right. Mm-mm. You want me to do the combat record since that last one was pretty long? 
Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Combat records. M38 to current. Pre-loss. Fifth Company Combat Records. Justice Bringer Crusade. During the efforts to end the Urex tyrannical reign, members of the Ultramarine's Fifth Company were sent to assist in the hunt uh, for Urex that spanned across nine systems. Members of the Fifth saw combat and multiple operations on various planets across these systems. Battle for Zentar. A, a, a pinnacle of planetary defense, the floating fortress was connected via space elevator in geosynchronous orbit above the planet. The final attack marked the closing engagement for the Justice Bringer Crusade, involving the entirety of the Ultramarine's chapter at the front, leading 12 other Space Marine chapters. Elements of the Fifth Company were used for the opening stage deep strike into the surface of the planet underneath. Underneath the fort, hang on. <clears throat> underneath the fortress, with the objective of taking weapons platforms, then to you to then use on Urex's forces. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Post loss, tenth Black Crusade, zero zero one M thirty nine. After the Krakens were established and received their reinforcements from a crag, the leaders of the chapter wanted to deploy quickly, as fate would have it. Abaddon and the Demon Prince Percherabo launched a tenth Black Crusade. Given their expensive dam due to their expensive distance, the, Kra the Krakens set out with all haste. With the Abyssal Krakens arrived to the Medusa sector, the Abyssal Krakens fleet assists in the final push of Imperial Force to drive Abaddon and Perchavel back into the Eye of Terror. The Krakens did not deploy it to, in to any worlds. However, even early in this unusually formation, unusual, well, <clears throat> On their unusually formidable void combat skills were needed in forcing enforcing the Black Legion back. Below the plate. Unknown M40. As outer systems began reporting influxes of obscure data, elements of the Krakens were dispatched to investigate. These forces were among some of the early discoverers of High Fleet Leviathan. Approaching from underneath the spinning plate of the galaxy. Through various engagements and losses from the Kraken's fleet, all operations were abandoned and forces pulled back. The commanders in charge realized no victory could be had against these tendrils of Leviathan. The Borgulash Crusade 863 and 40 Deep in the eastern fringe lies the Borgash system, home to the Borgulash, a ravenous armored hide race of giant stature. The Borgulash, at the first sign of void travel, were deemed to be destroyed by the Death Watch. Along with several Death Watch kill teams, paws of the, of the Abyssal Krakens, and two Death Corps of Krieg Regiment were sent to destroy the Borgulash before they could spread beyond their own system. The Battle of Kakamoro, M30, or sorry, 30, wow, 863 M40. I am dyslexic right now. <laughs> Prior to the Imperial Bombardment, Kakamoro was a lush green world. Once the environment had concluded, all that remained was mud and rain. Upon Kakamoro, the forces of Creek deployed against the Brugalash. At the end, bodies disappeared into the mud, and what didn't sink was left to rot. After the Quo Creek was finished, was finished, Kakamoro would not recover. Storms of toxic gas, undetonated munitions left riddled in the wastes, plagues from the dead kill from dead killing what else lived. Jesus Christ. I can Christ. take over I can take over a couple more because this is a very long list of several battles they've participated in. 
<laughs> Indeed. Oh, yeah. Pretty awesome battles, though. I like it. Oh, yeah. Battle of Hofstress, 872M40. After Kakamura was left a toxic mud pool, the crusade deployed to Hofstress. With the full might of the crusade deploying the Borgalush, the Borgalush held firm, not allowing to be killed or any major landing to remain on the surface. As the crusade was forced back into orbit multiple times, the Death Watch devised a new plan. Operation Lost Moon, 873M40. Angered at the defeat on Hofstrasse, parts of the Crusade deployed to the system's star. Once here, the Crusade vessels bombarded the star until its fusion became overreactive and burned out. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) With the star dying, the Borgolosh system would die, whether by by weapons of the Imperium or thermodynamics. (laughs) Good fucking If you if you can't beat them, kill their star. I don't I don't think I don't think that fits to Operation Lost Moon more like Operation Lost Star. Yeah, it's like it's like the Imperium tried to uh, tried to pull a uh, manual celestial (laughs) Ori. I mean, it works. It it did it did. Speaking of Battle of Borgalush, eight seven five M forty, as light faded and the system died. The crusade skipped. The crusade skipped worlds, going from the home world, going for, for the home world. Once there, the Borgalosh moon was destroyed, suffering from the violent tidal swings and accelerating dropping temperatures. The crusade landed. By the end, no Borgalosh was left. The planet half destroyed, its oceans frozen. The Ordazinos then classified the Borgalosh as exterminated. Sweet. I mean, rip, rip those guys, but yeah. Get wrecked, nerds. <laughs> Do you imagine you guys don't have awesome space armor? Mm-hmm. All right. You want me to do this one? Sure. All right. Damocles Gulf Crusade, starting 741 M41. With the Krakens besieged the eastern sector of the galaxy, the Kraken deployed for many of the town incursions. They wish they continued to per- participate. Battle of Psykel. Upon the crusade reaching the town world of Psykel, pods of the Bristol Krakens were deployed to try and counter massive amounts of mobile infantry deployed by the town. The Bristol Krakens were used to traverse the rugged landscapes of Psykel to destroy infrastructure and impede town mobile infantry. Over the course of weeks, the Bristol Krakens were very successful. However, in their success, they and their greater imperial forces took heavy casualties. Until Saz the Emperor arrived to secure the victory. Battle of Vis L. In the end, Vis L was destroyed after its polar ice caps were destroyed. However, prior to Imperial Navy flooding the world, elements of the Abyssal Krakens were operating on the surface. The Kraken's objective was simple revenge. Weeks prior, a vessel carrying several Krakens was destroyed and the Marines lost. The Tower Commander responsible fled to Vis L. Without authorization, the Krakens dropped into the surface where they located and killed the town commander and his entire command structure. Leaving the town on Vis L blind to the utter destruction wrought upon the town upon the Tau days later by the Imperial Navy. Oh, Battle for Daleth. Cool. Cool, cool. I know this battle, actually. Or I know of Daleth. Imperial forces destroyed the Tau Ordable Stations, allowing for a landfall to begin. The landing was set for the eastern seaboard of Daleth. 
with impressive mountain ranges to the north. Multiple pods of abyssal krakens were deployed in these mountains to protect the landing flank. Due to the rugged peaks, vehicle support was difficult. Where the krakens would maneuver and progress on foot, co combating tail ground forces and attempt to outflank the main imperial force. Cool. I wonder how they're doing now, given that Dallas is technically a Tau world. Yeah. You want to do the Battle of Marmana? Sure. Battle of Mar Marmana, 908 and 41. Marmana, a vast hive world, became subject to an attack by the Red Corsairs slash Astral Claws. The Corsairs had blockaded the planet, sending cultists to the surface to pillage and collect resources, unknowingly for the ongoing Badav War. I know of that war. As chance would have it, a strike fleet of the Abyssal Krakens were near when, when the call for aid came out, just before transmissions were blocked. Upon arriving at Marmana, Red Corsairs accelerated out to meet the Krakens. Each side brought forth vessels of vessels to bear of various classes, but the prospect of capturing more vessels, the Red Corsairs advanced into close range to allow for boarding torpedoes, which the Krakens responded in kind with. However, the two forces had two very different objectives, the Corsairs to raid and capture, the Krakens to breach and destroy. All said and done, three of the Corsairs' vessels were crippled with the fourth escaping. The Red Corsairs may be pirates of the Void, but com combating the tactical prowess and leadership of the Krakens of the Void is no easy task. Two Kraken vessels were heavily damaged. However, all four remained operational. The Krakens then uh, towed the three Corsair vessels to Marmana for refit and repair, later to be cleansed and repurposed for the Kraken's fleet. Ah, more vessels. More ships. More ships. More, more. <laughs> the Battle of Atlas, 908M41. After the Krakens drove off the Red Corsairs, they set target on the cultists that remained on Marmana. Taking several weeks to hunt down, eventually the cultists had gathered for a last stand at Atlas Peak, a steep hill far from the hive boundaries. There, the Krakens concentrated their forces attacking the cultists' defenses. By the end, the Krakens were throwing cultists from the peaks and cliffs alive. Oh my god. <laughs> Slaughtering the cultists to the last. Months later, as the Ordo Hereticus arrived to investigate, they launched an inqu inquiry to, into the uh, Krakens' actions to verify if the Krakens destroyed the cultist threat completely. To be sure, they ordered the extermin- To be sure, they then ordered exterminatus of Marmana to be sure no cults remain cause causing later insurrections. I mean, well, can't, be, can't be too careful. Exterminatus, push the big red button. I want to push the big red button. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Ooh, I'll bad, do the bad, bad of war. war. Do it, do it, do it, do it. The bad of war. Nine oh one to nine thirteen M forty one. Gargatha three. Nine oh six to nine oh seven M forty one. The feral world of dense, toxic jungles became home to vicious hit-and-run battlegrounds. Along with the raptors, salamanders, fire angels, and abyssal krakens, all took part in the ongoing conflict against the Astral Claws and Mantis warriors. The nonlinear combat lanes and infantry-heavy tactics allowed the krakens to be pivotal in the combat on Gargatha III. On Gargatha, the, the krakens gained respect from both ally and foe for their abilities to maneuver and counterattack with quick, decisive actions in horrible conditions and terrain. The Scouring. 
With the Loyalists finally making progress, elements of the Kraken fleet assisted in pushing the heretic forces from system from systems around the Badab areas. Cool. I like that they're not a big, big, big deal. Yeah. Third yeah. sphere of expansion. Nine. Ooh, more Tau. Uh, more Tau. These guys are fighting Tau a lot. Mm-hmm. 997.999 M41. Battle of Prefectia. 999 M41. Imperial Fortress World Siege by Tau Commander Shadow Sun. As the Tau took much of the planet, several chapters of Space Marines were sent to repulse the Tau. Most notably, the Raven Guard and White Scars. The Abyssal Krakens committed nearly 100 Marines. The town managed an astounding victory, slaughtering Marine forces, including the death of the Raven Guard captain, Corvus Cervex. The Imperial forces withdrew the Abyssal Krakens left on Perfectio with 11 Marines left. Holy fuck. Jeez. <laughs> I ripped these guys. These guys are suffering a lot of casualties a lot. I know. They're bad. They're always down to like 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 left. How do you expect to build a chapter from that? Well, I mean, these guys are just 11 out of 100, so it's not the biggest deal, but... <laughs> Second, Argrelia campaign. 999-M41. After the loss of Pre- Prefectia, the town began its next war zone. Again, the Abyssal Krakens deployed, and our luck was good. However, luck would not be in- on the Imperial side. With vast farsight on Kuiper reinforcements arriving to assist Shaosun, the Imperials were slaughtered again. Forced to retreat, deeming the planet lost. Again, the Krakens lost nearly 80 Marines. It was not until Agrelia was marked for Sermonatus that the third sphere ended. Holy. Mm. <laughs> no. Oh, all right. The Battle for Macrog. 745.m41. Interesting. As Operation Hydra concluded and the Imperial fleet withdrew from Tau space, many chapters of Imperial forces began heading for Makrog due to High Fleet Behemoth bearing down on Ultramar. With the being with being a descendant of the Ultramarines, the Abyssal Krakens, and many other chapters were called by Marnius Calgar for support. The Krakens deliberately delayed their response. To repay the debt that was due, the Ultramarines never came for them. They wouldn't go to them, or at least not with haste. Only fuck. Finally, as the Kraken arrived to McCrag, they assisted and bore witness to the final stage of the battle, seeing the High Fleet sucked into the warp by a, by a drive core detonation. <laughs> Imagine just like, all right, let's go, but let's like go to warp three, not warp ten. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just bribing, just bribing the navigator. Say the uh, warp currents were a little slow, okay? <laughs> ah, you want to take this yeah. next one? Yeah. Lost. M41. Lost set upon himself uh, the mission of killing the most, the most, the farthest from any other. And late M41 lost took his orcs from the Octavius War against the Tyranids and headed out into the unknown to travel past the edge of the galaxy to kill the unknown. Years later, Lost returned where he began his invasion of the Glacian system, a four-world strand located deep in the eastern fringe where due to systems distance due to the system's distance from its dying sun is riddled with enormous ice rings. Cool. 
Upon a distress signal being received and abyssal krakens arriving in the fourth world was already a burning mask take, taken by the orcs. Battle of Siberian's Field. As the orc fleet neared Glacian 3, it was met in force at Siberian's Field, an enormous set of ice ring led by the abyssal kraken fleet. Outnumbered and outgunned, the kraken commander hid hid the majority of his fleet underneath the ring when the orc fleet was overtop it. The fleet opened fire into the ring where the debris was launched into the orc vessels wreaking havoc. Damage done was enough for the orc fleet to recede back to Glacian 4. Battle That's of Glacian perfect. 4. Yeah. After Siberian's field, uh, the fleet met again above Glacian 4. As the fleet clashed against the Kraken commander, Again, the Kraken commander utilized natural structures. This time, the lone moon of Glacian 4 was bombarded and dropped onto the planet, forcing <laughs> the works from the park. Scheming, yes, yes. <laughs> Battle of Glacian Prime. The most habitable of the Glacian systems, after the orcs were defeated again, they made their way to attack the capital world. There on Glacian Prime, the orcs made landfall, in the process destroyed their fleet. With reinforcements of Imperial Guard, the Krakens led the force to purge the orcs. After months of fighting, lost in the majority of the orcs, threat was destroyed. However, small groups remained. As each splinter was destroyed, there always appeared to be more. At this stage, the Krakens left Glacian Prime, leaving elements of Imperial Guard to remain and hold Glacian Prime. Woo! Interesting. All right. I'll do it. When all it fills, just throw a moon at them. <laughs> just throw the moon. Just throw the moon. <laughs> I mean, I like them. I still haven't decided if I think these guys are too are too much or if they're like getting their butts kicked enough for me to forgive it. It's like I'm noticing like they're in a lot of the major like the major events that you read about, like the Bedab War, the Di uh Dilith, uh the um the gulf crusade and so it's like all the major events you hear about they have had some kind of small part in. yeah the tyrannic war yeah the tyrannic war i don't i like it's i'm with you i don't know if that's too much or they get their asses beat just enough to let it slide i i, I don't know jury's kind of out but we're like yeah we're barely yeah, halfway like through these yeah, we're barely like halfway through this, uh, these, uh, this whole uh, document. So, yeah, I mean, I'll see how it goes. Like, if they're continuing to like get their butt kicked and like barely win, or they're like present at these fights, but they're not like, like they're winning, but they're not winning the entire war. Like, they're not carrying on their backs, and I can forgive it. Because like, if it's a yeah. big event, then yeah, multiple chapters are gonna be there. It's just gonna be like the five poster boys. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. The fifth, the fourth, and fifth spheres of expansion. The battle for Ve- Valen. I don't think I've heard of that one. An outer Tau world of Valen was separated by an unusual gap of space near Damocles Gulf. The abyssal krakens and two imperial guard regiments began assaulting the planet. Valen, classified as Nagu world, is covered in vast rolling hills of wheat, rivers, and reservoirs, a pristine world. Upon Imperial forces landing on the night side of Valen, a massive armor vehicle battle ensued. But unknown to the Imperials, it is due to the local star 
the day side of Valen is victim to massive, rough EMP effects transmitted by the star, resulting in vehicles and many advanced tools to deactivate in sunlight until night arrives. Ooh, that's a really cool... That's really cool. The Valen Prevalen then took up then took up to took up two vastly different combat doctrines. During the day, large sweeping infantry deployments over vast ranges. At night, enormous vehicle engagement trying to catch up and respond to the daylight activities. As more as more Tau and Imperial forces arrive, Balfour Valen continues. Oh, okay. Battle for Punicus. Punicus? 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 Punicus. Sure. <laughs> the nearest system to Mollusca itself is Punicus, is the Punicus system. It is a long string of 15 worlds of varying classes. The Punicus system is used heavily by the Abyssal Krakens for supplies, resources, arm, and arms that cannot be collected or made on Mollusca. Early in M42, a Chaos Warband of Sunash, known as the Melody Macabre, cool, began as a Sultanist system, landing and attacking on multiple worlds. A battle for Punctius 14? Unknown M42. Punctius 14 is a trade world, far from its star, allowing for Punctius 14 to hold various celestial bodies. Online from multiple orbital stations where enormous shipping vessels can dock and load materials from the system. The Melody Macabre Warband first encountered here. Marines of the Macabre raided several orbital platforms. Upon gathering, all, at, all that their ships could hold eviscerated each station and dropped them out of orbit onto... Oh, fuck. Onto Panunxius 14. Fuck. By the time any force from Melisca arrived, the Melody Macabre was long gone. At which point, the Abyssal Krakens began assisting with aid and support on the surface of Punctius 14. Dang. Mm. All right. mm -hmm. Battle at the Siren's Gale. Unknown M42. Punctius 15 is an outpost world of the, is the outermost world of the system, comprised of ice and a rare mining facility or two. The importance of Punctius 15 is its vicinity to unique warp zone known as the Siren's Gale. The Sirens Guild the same warps when they nearly separated Mollusca from the Imperium, and it is by the slight tendril edge of it. The Sirens Gale emits unusual tones and frequencies that lure maddened helmsmen, helmsmen into it. Six years after the, the Battle of Punctius 14, an Abyssal Kraken's vessel, Heart of the Sea, was moving towards the Mandible Point to translate home to Mollusca, when a battle barge identified as the Mortis Refrain and strike cruiser minored atrophy excited, exited the, the siren's gale. That warning of cause, open transmissions flooded the heart of the sea with horrendous tones. Crew ripped themselves apart with their own hands, leaving her without power, drifting. Chaos Marines then teleport onto the bridge, eviscerating Sergeant Riff, master of the helm, leaving a note with Sergeant Riff's leash flash on the command dais, saying only, the corpse peddler delivers. The Chaos Ooh. Marines then left the heart of the sea to drift and returned back to the Siren's Gale. Upon finding the heart of the sea, a direct message was sent to Mollusca and the five captains. But seriousness in, in, in Punctius far worse, was far worse than previously known. 
Dang, that's fucked up. Yeah. <clears throat> the battle for Punctius Four, unknown M forty two. Punctius Four was a hive world. However, that was prior to Medley Macabre arrival. At one at one time, being home to nearly ten billion souls. After the attack at the Sirens Gale, the Ambissal Krakens were deployed more patrols of the system. Punctius Four sounded alarms, reporting eight chaos vessels, including both the Mortis Refrain and the Minor Atrophy. At the arrival of the Kraken fleets, areas of Punctius Four burned. Above the burning surface, the fleets engaged engaged multiple times. The Macabre having larger, more armored ships. The Krakens deployed several smaller, faster ships. Having no advantage, after no advantage could be gained by either fleet, both fleets pulled away, moving to deploy to the surface. Upon the surface of Punctius IV, both forces clashed in a series of grotesque, bloody battles. From the center of the Hive City up to the tra- up to the Transmin regions, Alpion Mountain Range. It was there that the it was there in the mountains that Janus, the corpse peddler, appeared and smeared his way through the Kraken's line, reducing several to piles of limbs or st- or stains on the ground. Janus and his noise marine cohort were only stopped in the last such effort, involving a drop pod laden with explosive explosive detonating a nearby peak, burying members of both forces holy. After the blast, Janus was nowhere to be found, and the chaos fleet quickly left orbit. Although Punctius IV has largely been saved, for a third for a third time the Punctius system and the Abyssal Krakens were beaten by the Melody Macabre, and Punctius IV's population was reduced by almost six billion. Holy most bodies never to be found and were suspected to have been taken by the corpse peddler delivers. After months of fighting on Punctius IV, the threat of the Melody Macabre was still very real, and the reasons for the treachery <clears throat> were no more understood. Resulting in the Krakens pulling several pods from their from other theaters to patrol and reinforce Mollusca and the Punctius system. Hunt for the Maw of Dahlia. 004M42. Yuriseth, leader of the Maw of Dahlia, Cabal. All further combat records redacted and sealed. Well, that was a short campaign. Hmm. Probably didn't end very well. Probably not, given it's the Jukari we're talking about here. I will say it does seem like with each of these campaigns, they either have like a really bad stalemate or a really bad setback. So I'm leaning more into they're getting their asses kicked just enough for me to allow the fact that they're in literally all of these major campaigns. Yeah. So. All right. Enough of the combat record. Let's go into some chapter specialties. The Kraken's isolation on Molluska caused the percentages to drop from the library for the librarians to occur, making librarians even the more rare in the chapter. This makes things like Kraken hold cra- like Kraken's hold even more rare. I like that because as busted as that as that warp power is, it really shouldn't have like all of your librarians be be able to do that. Agreed. Um, homeworld. Homeworld. After being forced to ground after their struggles against the Xenos, the expedition landed on an unknown world of unknown classification. The planet would uh, later be named for the terrifying monsters that rule its vast seas. 
The planet was classified Mollusca. Later, the chapter would be named after these same creatures. For Mollusca, the expedition finally beat back the Xenos that had forced them from space, ending finally with the Xenos' defeat. The expedition was left with one Long Serpent-class battlecruiser and two Viper-class destroyers, having lost six vessels. Although each was nearly crippled, leaving them anchored at high orbit, the remainder of the Imperial Guard Regiment remained upon Mollusca's surface. The surface. Mollusca is a, very, is a vast ocean world of jagged mountain ranges, outcrops piercing from the seas. These islands are compromised of sharp peaks and low fertile valleys that often dip far below sea level. Many of these low fertile valleys lead into cavernous cave networks. The expansive oceans of Mollusca allows for an enormous amount of sea life in them, including the massively destructive kraken beasts uh, from a forgotten era that ruled the seas. The colonial era human populaces dare not venture too far from the shore for risk of the Kraken's waters spell nothing but fear and destruction. In the vast valley, there is a large population of humans living in the living a colonial era lifestyle. Upon discovery, the chapter took a distant rule over the lords of Mollusca, leaving the humans to their struggle and strifes, only on occasion making contact for the purposes of recruitment. The Depths Equal to the jagged extremes of the surface, much below the sea level is mimic, with uh, depths plunging in places down to the planet's mantle and deep trenches. The seas of Mollusca both gives life and takes it with and takes it with its oceans, or with its ocean creatures. The most dangerous of these are the krakens that rule the depths. Among the vast vastness of the seas, the abyssal krakens chose their home. Along the shelf of the continental divide lies the chapter's fortress monastery. Fort Lixus, bored, bored down from a modest solitary island with the well of Forces was drilled. An enormous column plunging deep into the heart of the world, providing access to vast structures of hollowed-out rock and man-made facilities. They're also, there along the seafloor, the Kraken's Fortress is not only protected by enormous gun facilities on the island, but miles of seawater deep deep. Bi- Miles of seawater, deep bedrock, and monsters that dwell in the deep. Atmosphere slash orbit. Mollusca is home to two moons, Sturgeon and Calypso. I see what you did there. Sturgeon is locked locked to the planet in a geosynchronous orbit tied to the southern pole. Sturgeon's orbit is is non-existent. It has unchanging day and night sides. Calypso is is another matter entirely. Calypso experiences a dramatic elliptic orbit where on its return trajectory passes very close to Mollusca, resulting in drastic tidal effects, but due to the extreme orbit of Calypso, these are rare. Calypso is also home to a vast sensorium array that on its its distance away from Mollusca is able to send and receive messages from great distances. Cool. Very interesting. I like that. I like that it uses the abnormal orbit to explain how they're able to get really far away messages. It also kind of excuses why they're like, why they can be in some really important battles and then they can like miss other battles because it's probably like just the rotation of the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Alright. <clears throat> Recruitment. Upon the launch of the expedition voyage from Akrag, the remainder of the 5th Company continued in service. 
However, a small base was developed on McCrag itself, where aspirins could be selected from McCrag's system as a whole. These, com- these competing aspirants were to the, as- the Ultramines themselves. However, expedition was successful. The champion of the fifth company would lead a new force. Aspirants would train like Ultramarines and be sent into space to rendezvous with the expedition. Upon, world, upon word of success to replenish the combat forces. But with no word received, many aspirants were taken into the Ultramarines. Only the most loyal, radical aspirants remained to be led by the champion. As no word ever came, the recruitment continued, but was never sent off-world. New Marines were ever being trained and held on the crag. Once rediscovered on Mollusca by the rogue trader, the Marines that had been held on McCrag rejoined the lost expedition, at which time they were nearly 600 Marines. Holy. The small fortress originally left for the expedition on McCrag for recruitment remained in place, held by members of the new chapter newly titled the Abyssal Krakens. The Marines remained on McCrag so to keep eyes and ears on the Ultramarines, for the trust was gone. The recruitment never ended. As recruitment continued in McCrag, recruitment began in Maliska for capable aspirants. Hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about that. Chapter Organization The Abyssal Krakens were originally a strict segment of the Codex Compliant Fifth Company. However, due to the losses and isolation, they were made to restructure or perish, which was also the time period the Gene Cimitation began. With the Kraken's hatred towards the Ultramarines for leaving them to die, the chapter refuses to recomply with the Codex. In, in the Kraken's refusal to rebuild the Codex design, the Krakens deploy units and smaller forces. Instead of company strength of roughly 100 Marines, the Kraken's standard deployment size is roughly 20 to 50 Marines in a company pod. The, com- the chapter's original speciality was Void Warfare remained. But due to its isolation, the remaining eight were masters of search and destroy and the ability for prolonged isolation combat actions, as well as void warfare. Due to these developed traits, the Abyssal Krakens demand and deploy in vast amounts of Vanguard Primaris Marines. Hmm. Leadership. Unlike most chapters, the Krakens have no chapter master. And so the Krakens have a council made up of the five captains where matters of war and chapter are discussed and voted upon. Each captain can then act as the chapter master when dealing with each other chapters. The, champ- the captain has then has command of several pods, to which they have sole power to choose the composition of the pods and how they are deployed. Sounds kind of like, a, is that the Iron Hands that don't really have a chapter master? Yeah, they have the Iron Council, I think, which is their chapter master, their apothecary, their chief apothecary, and their chief um, tech marine, I think it's called. Whatever the tech they, marine. Yeah, weren't they called like Iron Fathers or something like that? Or am I thinking of another chapter? No, that's the Iron Fathers, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, but there, that's how the recruitment works. That's how their leadership works. I like how this one works too, though. But I'm mm-hmm. going to... Hang on. So they hang on. So he has a thousand. So I'm assuming. Does this mean that a company is only fifty marines, and each captain has two pods under them? I could be maybe wrong with how I'm reading this, because it sounds like 
either each captain has one company of 50 Marines to them, or they have two companies under them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter either way. I just, I'm just wondering if that's how it works. I'm sure if we ever get like a response, he can, he can let us know. But oh yeah, regardless, <clears throat> special equipment. Do the Kraken's preferred combat style of often being isolated on long-range combat deployments or deployed on the edge of the worst areas? The Krakens deploy large amounts of Vanguard Primaris equipment and eliminators. Upon Gilman's revival, the Pelagic Guard on McCrack witnessed and designed various suits of mimicked Vitrix Guard armor that is used for the Kraken's Pelagic Guard. With the Kraken's usual lack of vehicle support and durable terrain they fought in, the Tech Marines of the chapter, along with Mars, created a portable anti-material rifle for the Krakens with the purpose of light vehicle destruction and large target kills. However, these weapons are still in design and working weapons platforms are rare. Hmm. Well, there we go. Interesting. Chapter Strength. Below Codex Strength. Due to prolonged fighting, long isolation, slow recruitment, and gene seed failures, the Bristol Krakens can field only about half a full chapter, which are composed of pods of 20 to 50 Marines, total 230 to 560. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can take over for this next one. Sure. Chapter Relations. The Abyssal Krakens have good relations with many a Space Marine chapter, to which the Krakens are used in light infantry roles where their small strike team pods are sent into combat zones and execute long-distance scouting, hunting, strategic target destruction. Void combat, boarding actions, and scalpel precision operations away from operations away from the main forces. When operating on worlds, it is done predominantly without transport or vehicle support to reduce detection. However, the Kraken's ingrained hatred toward the Ultramarines has left <laughs> them to openly show disgust and disdain towards them and their gene father, Reboot Gilliman. The Kraken's belief that the Ultramarines left the expedition slash Krakens to die has resulted in the Abyssal Krakens to often refuse or avoid fighting directly alongside the Ultramarines. Oof, rip. Due to the heritage of being a successor to the Ultramarines, will often wear or display Ultima Icon, but not without <clears throat> defacing it first. <laughs> Usually by striking through the Ultima with uh, pod markers as a subtle yet blatant act against the Ultramarines. Yeah, stick it to the blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> Enemies. Tau. With Molluska's location deep in the eastern fringe, the Abyssal Krakens are often deployed against the expansions of the Tau, which explains a lot of the Tau engagements they've done. Uh, Due to the multiple engagements against the Tau, the Krakens have special hatred towards them. The Krakens have also developed into into a quite efficient Tau fighting force, having faced both Commander Shadowsun and Commander Farsight. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um... That you're you're name dropping too many important characters, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, like I like I can I can completely understand Gilliman and Ultramarines and like the Tyrannic War because that was a big Ultramarine uh campaign, and since they're descended from Ultramar- Ultramarines, but in you know, like the of of all the Tau that you could be facing, like of course they happen to meet. The happen to fight against the two the two big name Tau. I'm just I'm that's kind of pushing it for me, but I'm willing to see where this goes. For me, I can um, excuse Farsight. 
mean, because like Farsa was apparently everywhere during the during the war. Like he was like fighting on like every battlefield, and wherever he yeah. was, he was like not one man arming it, but like the tide of battle would quickly change when Farsight entered it. So like I could excuse them fighting Farsight because like again, Farsight was everywhere, but Shadow Sun, like I, I mean. Maybe like once they probably fought her, but like I don't think they would have an in-depth knowledge of regu- of regularly fighting Sa- Shadow Sun, just personally. Yeah. Um. Enemies. Enemies. Uh. Melody Macabre, a Silneshi warband that has terrorized the Punicus system. The May the Mauve Dahlia files sealed. All right. So that's a uh, Silneshi. Chaos Warband and a uh, Drukari Cabal. So that's actually kind of interesting. Something different other than more named characters, you know. So, yep. uh, notable members Pre Loss, Victor An- Anumius, the long serving champion of the Ultramarines Fifth Company. Anumius was awarded command in the Eastern Fringe to crusade against the Xenos threat. After staggering losses and being forced to ground with reduced supplies and manpower, Anumius held a funnel point, slaying dozens of Xenos and Xenos elites, not allowing any to pass so that uh, the last of his forces could escape to trigger a counter assault to finish the last of the Xenos. Does it ever mention what Xenos are fighting? I don't think so. I don't think it did. That's interesting. By the time of the counterattack was finished, and Anumius' men returned, they found Anumius beneath piles of Xenos, clutching his power sword, Vita I'm, I'm not I can't pronounce Amesadil in one hand, strangling Xenos with the other, and tearing a third <laughs> out with the with, of a third with it, wait out of a third with it, with his mouth <laughs> Okay wow. Metal The eights the last remaining eight members of Anumius's forces, upon rediscovery, each member redacted their names, taking this taking a simple numerical title. One through eight. Two through eight. Yeah, one through eight. The eights also divided Anumius's armor eight times, sharing parts between each of them. Upon receiving the long-held marines from Macrog, the eights then took up leadership in forming and establishing the structure for the successful founding of the Abyssal Krakens. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Very interesting. You want to take over? Yep. Post discovery. Chapter command. Captain Hannibal. Hannibal is the tactician of the Abyssal Krakens in command of three pods of Marines. Okay. So there you go. There's there's my questions. So captains have command over multiple pods. Hannibal, Hannibal is beyond a doubt the go-to for ground warfare planning and execution. When surface warfare is used, Hannibal is usually the review for assault and battle plans. He was also le- he has also led the Krakens on nearly as many of their most advanced movements and combat successes. Along with Hannibal's combat and tactical du- tactician duties, Hannibal also receives both the orders of the chaplains and the po- holy fuck and the apothecaries. He's a busy boy. <laughs> I mean, okay. There's parts of this that I'm starting to get a little too much by, like. Uh, we're Captain... on like the, la- the last two to three pages of it, so yeah, think, you know we can, and we can try and breeze through these. And I think I think we both have some words words to yeah. say about about all of it. So 
Yeah. Captain Mago, Colossus. Mago is the commander of the Tenfold, a single pot of Marines that number but ten. The Tenfold are both brutal and efficient. Mago uses the Tenfold as a scalpel precision direct attack force, where when deployed, act independently of support to utter E strategic targets, or race strategic targets. Captain Haru Sedel. Hasdrubel. Oh, it's Hasdrubel, sorry. Hasdrubel is the chief librarian of the chapter in command of two pods of Marines, 40 to 100, along with a librarian, a librarius. Hasdrubel is the only Marine blessed. Hasdrubel is both the Kiss and the has both the Kiss and the Coleptiate, making him unusually deadly and openly feared by many of his peers for his ability for slaughter. Captain Hamis Ham Hamilcar. Hamilcar's record has no match among the chapter. He has slayed orcs, demons, Tau, orcs, Eldar, orcs, and man on countless worlds. Hamilcar commands three pods, 60 to 100 marines, and has gone further and killed more than any other kraken. Hamilcar is simply a lord of war, forever pursuing death to those that threaten the Imperium. Captain Barkar, the Fathomless Annihilator. Barca is the master of the fleet and commands five pods of marines, 100 to 250 marines. Barca dominates the, in the theater of void combat, in which he is without peer in the void. Barca manages the unusually large fleet of the Krakens, with which Barca usually disperses his forces across space, allowing him the largest atonem of marines, with which he hunts enemies of the Imperium once from once from space onto the lands below. For higher importance war zones, Barca will consult his marines, allowing him to bring forth an enormous force. <clears throat> Other notable members. Lieutenant Dosidius. Dosidius is a potent psyker. Dosidius is a potent psyker. Was appointed by the captain Hasjubel. Hasjubel. After Punctius IV to lead a particular mission, Dosidius was placed in charge of a kill team with choice over its members and given command of destroyer endless of the destroyer endless storm. Dosidius was assigned the mission to locate, track, and create practicals for killing Janus, the corpse peddler. To which Dosidius began by stationing on Punctius XV at the edge of the Sirens Gale. Bomilko. Bomilko is the chapter champion. With with his skills, Bomilko is not assigned a permanent pod. Instead, based on what operations are taking place, he is sent from battle to battle. With him always in the Trident, a trio of Marines that accompany Bomilko in all of his actions to provide support and guidance. The Trident. A trio of Marines, each selected by the chapter champion himself to assist and guide him in his never-ending travels from war zone to war zone. Add her bomb, Boaster, Carthalo. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The the pay the Palic Guard. Pel Pelagic. 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 Maybe. Pel the Pelagic Guard. Started by the Eighth themselves, the Pelagic Guard was founded in the earliest times of the chapter. Chosen from Marines that are only recruited from Molluska, they are vetted and graded, judged and tested, with only the strongest, smartest, and fastest being selected. They are then separated and moved deep into Fort Lexus to be trained. 
These Marines are then either sent to station the original Fortress Summer Crag or operate as Praetorians of the Five Captains. Hmm. Due to the Pelagic Guard's isolation and seclusion from the rest of the Marines, they are often untrusted and misunderstood as being radicals. Along with their secretive ways, an exact number of Pelagic Guard is unknown to all but their commander. As a pledged guard are only seen in small numbers around the chapter champ around the chapter captains or on McCrag. Captain Mar Malchus, leader of the Pelagic Guard. All right. Chapter Fleet. <clears throat> Home stretch. Home stretch. Last, Home last stretch. little bit. <laughs> All right. Oh. <sighs> All right. With the Abyssal Kraken's fleet being unusually large for the chapter's size, its void-capable ships are broken into various groups. Fleets, 1st to 6th. The larger collection of ships and men. Fleets include Astartes and Imperial Guard and support vessels with supplies and equipment for full military deployments. Each captain leads and commands a fleet, except for the master of the fleet, who commands two fleets. Strike Forces. 1 to 12, varying in size of strike, strike force consists of Imperial Guard vessels with varying numbers of ships and men in each strike force. When necessary, units of Astartes will be joined or attached dependent on the objective or mission. Expeditions. The smallest grouping of ships, expeditions vary greatly in composition and number of ships. Usual use, uses vary from scouting missions to small-scale deployments. There is no set number of expeditions when one is called for when one is called for where the criteria does not meet the needs of for a full strike force. Ships from strike forces will be pulled to accomplish the expedition objective. Oh, okay. And like this last part is just listing all the, the ships in the fleet. So Yeah. You wanna do one at you wanna do one, I do one, you do one, I do one? Sure. All right, lightning all right. round. The Kraken's Toll, Ship of the Line. As tribute to the gods, a nation of Molusca provided no su suitable supplicants for recruitments into the Abyssal Krakens. To remedy this, the nation handed over its finest vessel. Since receiving the gift, the Abyssal Krakens harbor the Kraken's Toll above Fort Lixus. Heart of the Sea, Sword Frigate Class. One of the older vessels of the Kraken's fleet, the Heart of the Sea has served with distinction. After its loss at the Siren's Gate, it is breathed and refitted refitted and cleansed until until fit for duty. Endless Storm, a hunter-destroyer class escort vehicle, under command of Lieutenant Ducidicus to search and discover information connected to the Melody, Macabre, and Janus. Fathomless, a firestorm for your class. The Fathomless is a, is the lead vessel of the White Caps. Strike Force. The Fathomless and its Strike Force are part of Captain Barca's fleet. The White Caps are the most decorated squadron in the Kraken's fleet. Apothic Hunter, Infernus-class heavy cruiser. The Apothic Hunter is both one of the oldest and most destructive. From a different age, the Apothic Hunter was found adrift as the Krakens were investigating High Fleet Leviathan under the, under the galaxy. Where after towing it back to Molusca, it took nearly 350 years to refit, rebuild, and market as battle-ready. Once prepared, the Apothic Hunter has not stopped in his per persecution of its enemies. Diamantia Fracture, Nova Fria class. The Diamantia Fracture is a lead vessel of Strike Force 9, composed of nine frigates. 
the Diamantia fracture and strike and strike nine after the repeated defeats in the Perkeus system has been permanently stationed in the system. Dang. The Tonga, Infernus class battleship. One of the oldest ships in the fleet, the Tonga was captured, cleansed, and renamed from the Mantis warriors during the Battle of Gar. Gargathia three, with the assistance of the Salamanders as the Mantis warriors were attempting to flee near the ending of the battle. <clears throat> Le- like? Liked? Litka? Litki? Litk? Licked. Licked. Space Marine Battle Barge. The Licked is the sole chapter battle barge for many years. During Damocles Gulf Crusade, the Licked was destroyed by the town fleet Attacked it. Okay. The Kraken's Allure, Nova Frigate class. The Kraken's Allure is home to the Trident and the captain and the ca- and the chapter champion. It is used as the personal transport and strike vessel to ferry the Trident where needed. Point Nemo Squadron, Endurance class Lake Cruiser. Point Nemo Squadron are Imperial are Imperial Navy vessels used by the Abyssal Krakens. The Point Nemo Squadron function is to take Long-range auger scans at the extremes of scanner range from Mollusca and into the nearby Sirens Gate Gale. Point Nemo's consists scanning provides possible early warnings and updates and updates states the void near Mollusca. The Pick Cairn, Space Marine Strike Cruiser, the capital ship that leads the first fleet. Picods? Picods rebirth. Short Space Marine Strike Cruiser, the capital ship that leads the second fleet. Sovereign Space Marine Strike Cruiser, the capital ship that leads the third fleet. Tristan da Conhan, Conha, Long Serpent class battle cruiser. Levi, Levi, Leviathan Melville, Long Serpent class battle cruiser. Mosasaur, Long Serpent class battle cruiser. Akora Kanui, Space Marine battle barge. Upon the Indominus Crusade erupting across the galaxy, the Abyssal Krakens hesitantly took a gracious gift. A battle barge, even with the Krakens' hated hatred toward the Ultramarines, a battle barge was too fine a gift to refuse. The Akora Kanui is the sole battle barge of the chapter. Indefinite Leagues, Gladius Frigate class. The Indefinite Leagues is the Pelagic Guard's sole vessel. It sh- it shutters, well, it shuttles Marines of the Guard back and forth from Macrag and Mollusca. The Indefinite Leagues houses several Shadowhawks obtained through Raven Guard's successors. These Shadowhawks are kept in case Marines of Macrag need to be extracted or reinforced with less attention. And that rounds out the Abyssal Krakens, everybody. One take, baby. I'm completely kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thoughts. Breakdown. So there's a lot to unpack with this. I'm going to start off with a positive. All this detail, just damn. Like, it it seems like you just put every, Sam, every bit of information you could feasibly put into every bit of depth into this chapter you have 
far far exceeded and that is i love that like it's like that one uh it's like that one guard guard regiment we, we read about quite a while ago that had so much detail to it i love that however however i think it's especially with the combat record and the chapter's history i think a lot of it runs into the issue of they're in all these major campaigns, like the more famous ones, like uh, like the Bad Ab War, the um, uh, Dallas Prime, the Cell. Um, a lot of these major major campaigns that are very famous in Black in Black Library, I think. And then, of course, fighting uh, fighting with several named characters, namely Satterson and Farsight, kind of. St- stretches my suspension of disbelief just a little bit um to counter that you do write a good you do make a good point of making sure they lose quite a bit which is you know which is good because nobody really cares for an op mary sue space marine chapter um that just win all the flipping time but uh that's just a couple of my things and i'm sure ray has quite a few things to say as well um, mine is similar, where it's like, I like the detail, I love the detail. Um, I like that you show them that they're losing, that they're suffering casualties, but it does also, similar for me, it does seem like it stretches a lot of probability of everywhere that they're being, and the fact that, like, there's also the concept that they're losing these Marines, they're losing, like, they're suffering a lot of casualties, and a part of me is aware that they're suffering the casualties, but a part of me doesn't feel like they're suffering casualties. Like, it's like a thing where it's like, oh, they lost, like, you know, an entire company's worth of Marines, which this chapter has around 500 Marines at best. At best, it has 500 Marines. So losing, like, 100 Marines in a single engagement is going to be a cataclysmic blow for anyone. I mean, that's so, going like, to hurt. And there, and there's in at least two instances written down where it's like there are down to like eight, eight, eight Marines left, 15 Marines left. And it's just like, I think those um, were individual companies though. Cause I think it said that, that, okay. that, that, yeah, like one company went in and then I think eight or 15 of that company were left. But the fact of the matter still remains that like, if you lose a company and your chapter only has about 500 Marines, you're down to 400 Marines, which is gonna which is doesn't mean they are not able to operate, but for me it seems, it seems both like, what what's the way to put it? It seems like he's trying to say that because they suffer a lot of casualties and have very small numbers, that they aren't overpowered. But the problem is that because they have such low numbers and suffer casualties, that they shouldn't be taking part in all of these very big campaigns. Like, if you don't have, like, if you don't have the Marines spare and you know for a fact that your Marines are going to die or suffer a lot of casualties, you aren't going to throw them haphazardly in every single big engagement possible. Mm-hmm. Like, at least for me, especially with the whole um, crusade against the Tau. Like, with the casualties that they're suffering from what I'm seeing, it seems like they shouldn't be so gung-ho about a lot of the things they're doing like it's great they're doing all these like preemptive strikes they're helping where they can but i think that 
dialing back on all of the war zones that they take part in, or maybe changing how they fight now as they get smaller and smaller in number would help. Um, I also don't know how I feel about the company command having multiple pods, especially when the pods are so small, relatively speaking. So part of me feels like you could get away with getting rid of having command over multiple pods and just simply say that because of how regularly disorganized or how regularly they suffer, like because of how often they suffer casualties at such an extreme rate that it's very common for like a company to be formed and then to be immediately absorbed by another company. If casualties run too high, like you don't have to have, a captain controlling like three co- three companies to make the captain impressive. A captain will still be impressive if he has one, uh, if he has one, if he has command over one company. And I think that giving the captain multiple companies to like control or lead over almost becomes less believable. Like it either becomes less believable or it makes me view the captain as less capable of leading because he has to direct his attention to not just one company, but several. I'm using companies to like be as like general as possible. So like, that would be but my issue. In, in, his, in his defense, I think the way with the chapter organization kind of the different captains do have different specific roles. Like one of them, I think he only had like managing like a very like only maybe a couple of pods at the most and then but he was very 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 specialized and then so to make up the difference i guess one one or a couple of the other captains are in charge of more battle brothers so to speak so i think that's i think that's his way of kind of making up the difference for why does this captain only command this many why does this captain command this many that sort of thing yeah, for me, I just think that it could have been, like, I think it would have spoken more if he said, like, like I said, companies can be formed and they can be, like, absorbed into another company just as quickly kind of thing. Because then I think it speaks more volumes to commanding multiple pods. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, Another, I guess, issue I have is recruitment. Did you have yeah, anything? Yeah, kind of along the lines that I think to I think it helps to kind of put things in perspective. Uh when the Ultramarines fought the Tyranids for the first time in the first Tyrannic War, didn't they basically lose their entire first company? Um yep. something they like lost, that or basically Yeah, and it took them, if I recall correctly, centuries to get just that one company back up to full full strength of a hundred marines. So as many times as as many times as this chapter here has lost or been reduced to as low numbers as they did it and then putting into perspective you know how long it took the ultramarines first company to be built back up you have to you have to kind of apply that logically so that way you're not really suspending that that uh disbelief if that makes sense. Yes. For me, 
my issue isn't even that in terms of like the recruitment. My issue is the fact they recruit from a crag in general. Like for me, I don't think like regardless of their history, I don't think any chapter aside from the Legion era should be recruiting from the same planet because like the only I could the only way I could really realistically see the chapter existing though if they if they don't recruit from like a decently populated world would have to be that they would need to recruit from like a minor empire in order to survive. But Especially I think since that they're uh, ultramarine stock. So yeah, yeah. But for me, just the idea of them recruiting from a crag when the ultramarines themselves recruit from a crag, it seems kind of just like, like why would the ultramarines spare any of their recruits? If anything, you could play around with it, like make it so that they do recruit specifically from like Molusca. And like go into the tribes of Molusca, go into the colonial expansions of it, because you wrote some stuff for them, add some stuff to that, and have it be from that, and have it be that they do get stuff from from like McCrag, but don't make it that, but make it the opposite. Like instead of being like this is just what I would add instead, instead of being like oh we only recruit from McCrag stock, make it that they get additional supplies. They need to like beseech the Ultramarines, like they have to like regretfully. Almost like sorrowfully, almost plead with McCrag to like give them extra Marines or support. And the ones that they do get are like the bottom of the barrel, like extra neophytes. And that just makes them even more mad with the Ultramarines. Like, oh, so not only are you giving us, so you're giving us Astartes or giving us recruits for us, but your recruits are like the bottom 1%. What are we a joke to you? <laughs> So, but yeah, I would just say like make them recruit from their home world more, like make that a bigger thing because right now it seems like the chapter has a lot of animosity for the Ultramarines, despite the fact that from what I'm seeing, they mostly recruit from the Ultramarines. So it seems like, well, yeah, the veterans or the ancients or whatever should have that resentment. It doesn't seem like the resentment is warranted when the chapter is getting fresh recruits from them. It seems almost like unnecessary for them to have this resentment. So I definitely think, or rather this resentment should have like burned away or died down by now. So I think mm -hmm. like making it so that the planet that they are on, Melissa has such a small population, they need to like depend on outsourcing recruits. What they could do is if their animosity or their hatred towards ultramarines is that strong is go to major battlefields where the ultramarines were and have lost and steal you know try and steal uh you know bo uh corpses bodies anything that uh uh you know anything where the gene seed hasn't been successfully harvested and just you know loot from dead ultramarines if you want to go the grimdark route that you can easily do something along those lines other than well, just begging and pleading for gene stocks from mccrag well for me i i kind of like that as well i kind of like the idea of like they have such an animosity towards them and there might even be like instances of them like getting their hands on ultramarine gene seed and like it could be that like not only like they have to plead with what's the word? They have to plead with the ultramarines to get because it isn't just like GCD need, you need recruits. 
So like, it could be that they just steal fucking like the gene seed from dead ultramarines and then they get recruits from somewhere else from their world. But yeah, I definitely think placing more of a focus on the home world itself would be a good idea. Because like I said, having them recruit exclusively from a crag makes it seem like one, they shouldn't have such low numbers if McCrag is such a huge population. Um, and two, it doesn't seem like the animosity should still be going on because McCrag is like the Ultramarines are basically doing you a service, doing you a solve, but providing you with with recruits and potentially gene seed. So, like, I think if the recruits they were getting, like, if they, ex- they recruited exclusively from Molusca, but because Molusca is such a small population, they have to depend on the Ultramarines, it would really sell that. You even have a thing where, like, Ultramarine, like, recruits from, like, Ultramar slash McCrag are, like, bullied by the rest of the chapter. Like, nine, nine out of every ten is from Molusca, and the tenth one is from McCrag. So you have, like, this internal rivalry slash, like, bullying of, like, you know, some little bit of conflict among the chapter. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind the whole animosity thing towards the Ultramarines that much, because, like, if you look at if you just look at 40k lore in general, like I think it's like Dark Angels and uh, Space Wolves have like a rivalry going on because of something that Russ and the Lion have said to each other 10,000 years ago, and they still hold that grudge. So I'm I'm a little bit more forgiving with the ooh blueberries. We can't stand those guys. They left us out to die. You know that sort of thing. I'm I'm a little bit more forgiving of of that if other factions are allowed to get get away with something similar. But that's just but that's just me. That's just my two cents on that on that. No. I'm obviously obviously not trying to make it be like, oh, this is garbage, blah blah. No, I enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed basically a lot of this stuff. It is just the points that we mentioned that could be fixed up, touched up a little bit. But yeah. Otherwise those adjustments. Yeah, I mean we're we're kind of just nitpicking by exception because basically basically everything else was pretty pretty good it was very well written very organized every almost every single detail was planned out for how these how the chapters form how they operate what what's what is their makeup like uh so this is by no means any kind of jab at at this lore this is very very good long written lore and it's obviously given us I don't know how long have we been talking about this? What an hour? hour? Yeah, we've we've been talking about this over an hour, so it's garnered our attention and and is worth talking about too. So, good on you, Sam. Yes, and obviously don't be like, oh, they only mentioned this stuff. I mean, that's bad. No, if we didn't mention something, that means that we found it enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like basically, because like that last like five percent they were talking about is stuff that stuck to us that grabbed our attention of. I don't know if we should do this. Let's discuss this and figure out what can be changed. The other like 95% because we didn't comment on it means that we found it very enjoyable and very fitting. Mm-hmm. Like just, just the fact that you're able to come up with all these names and keep everything and keep everything straight and just, and I can tell a lot of the historical um, I can tell a lot of the historical influences like Hannibal Barca, Hasdrubal, Hamilcar, 
like all those I vaguely know it from like Roman and Carthage Carthage Carthaginian. Yeah, Carthaginian history. So I mean, good on you for making all of these references and making all of these connections and especially like uh go leaning into that Kraken underwater theme without overdoing it like a certain chapter that we all know and love so again yes. this is like 95 percent awesome and it's just like the five percent that i know it seems like we're kind of that ray and i are kind of harping on is just is just the thing that we can see is maybe a little bit lacking but that's why we're trying to offer these suggestions again these are just suggestions to just to try and make it just that much better so but yes exactly but I've got nothing else to say. I've made my yeah. points. Yeah, I enjoyed I it. Yep, this has been a very long episode. And if you've uh and if you dear listeners have lasted this long, thank you very much. I'm sure Mark will de- definitely appreciates it. Um always good to talk about different space marine chapters and what makes them tick. Yes, yes, yes. So if you dear listeners have any lore that you'd like to have read and have read then feel free to submit it to lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com and it will be read by ray myself mark or another guest in the hopefully in the near future so thank you very much and have a wonderful evening everybody bye Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode.